Well, good afternoon again, John. Good afternoon, Jim. This is episode 42 in our second season of doing these podcasts. You know, it's remarkable to me, John, that we've done 41 of these and we're about to do 42. That's a lot of water and a lot of content under the bridge. Uh, Yes, and some of it may be murky or a little muddy water. But we've tried our best, and we think uh, this is uh, doing something for the Christian uh, population, our Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, So this is episode 42, and it's contemporary deluding influences that God is sending today, part two. So this started uh, in episode 41, and our discussion is derived from a phrase that the Apostle Paul uses in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in which he is trying to correct the misunderstanding of the Thessalonians uh, regarding the fact that they thought they were already living in the day of the Lord, that uh, the end time events had begun. And Paul says, well, you know, that's not possible because two things have to happen first. The apostasy has to take place, which may be a reference to the rapture or the apostasy of nations and rebellion of them against God, and perhaps something else. Departure from the truth. Yes, that's a great idea. And then secondly, the revelation, the revealing of the Antichrist. He has to come before the day of the Lord can be accomplished and Jesus Christ returns at the end, end of that time. So the Antichrist becomes the subject of his discussion from verses 2 and 3 and 4 and following. He's presently restrained, uh, which I think is government. Others think it is the Holy Spirit. But uh, when that restraint is removed, when we actually embrace the last times, namely uh, the Great Tribulation and so forth, then the Antichrist is revealed and he uh, begins doing various things, including um, actively deluding and deceiving the nations with the uh, power of Satan and using miracles to back that all up. And uh, Paul says in verse 10 that he will have all the deception of wickedness for those who are perishing because they did not accept the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send, and that's a a point of contention. The verb is not future, but is present. For this reason, God sends upon them at that time a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false, in order that they may be all judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. So today we're dealing in this episode, part two, Uh, those deluding influences that are existing in unprecedented ways today. So people who, uh, you know, somewhat scoff at the fact that what John and I are doing, trying to alert God's people to increasing signs of the end times, uh, who scoff and say, well, you know, it's always been like this. Uh, These troubling things, these deluding influences have been around ever since uh, in memoriam. But especially from the time of the New Testament and current current generations and so forth. Well, we're trying to argue the point that they are unprecedented today, the deception that is going on. John, tell us something that is very critical. Deal with that issue that uh, some people may have. Well, Jim, I'm reading here. uh, It says, uh, 
I'm going to read again verses 10 and 11. Uh, With all deception and wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And uh, that's, uh, that's kind of a reference to the moral condition of, peop- of the people upon which this deluding influence uh, is being sent. Because it says in verse 11, And for this reason in particular, God, will, God is sending upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe the lie, literally speaking, in order that they may all be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Jim, it occurs to me that there are many, and frankly, Jim, I think there are many people who would describe themselves as evangelicals who have a difficulty right here. Is it just and is it right for a just God to send a deluding influence upon people? Well, you know, God had done this kind of thing before. Give me an illustration. Well, I think back at the time of uh, David, uh, when he was going to uh, number the people of Israel, the tribes and so forth, and as I recall that it's introduced by uh, Satan putting the thought, or or is it God putting the thought in in David? Uh, Who who, who told you to number the people of Israel? Yes. so, you know, generally speaking, one way we can deal with this is to say, well, God allows uh, evil to, to take place. God permitted the fall of Adam and Eve. He permitted David's uh, bad acts uh, all to a greater end and glory. But we're dealing with this on another level. Right. We're dealing with God being an active uh, agent in bringing upon a deluding influence. Can you think of a time in history when God was an ad- active agent in changing the mindset of a person? Well, like Pharaoh? Yes, like Pharaoh. We know well from both the historical account in Exodus uh, as well as from the uh, reflections of this event uh, by Paul the Apostle in Romans 9 that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now we could say that he first set himself in a position of opposition to God and therefore began down that pathway of hardness. But nonetheless, God added to his hardness so that he came to a place where he could not repent. And Daniel has a statement to that effect that the wicked in chapter 12 of Daniel uh, will continue to act wickedly which is repeated in the book of Revelation, that the righteous will act righteously and continue to do so, but the wicked will continue to act wickedly so that people come to a position where they cannot change. Right. Because they don't want to change. That's they, right. They cannot see any uh, reason, actually. And, and you know, even in, in, in the Revelation, John, where it says, after great cataclysms and suffering sent by God... And I might parenthetically say here that all the judgments of Revelation, the seals, the trumpet, and the bold judgments, three series of judgments, are sent by God. Right. It's a demonstration of his wrath. And so we're dealing with the same issue that you just wanted now to take up, and that is how can God uh, bring suffering? Why would he bring suffering? And even in light of that, when it happens, they still... Refuse to repent. Yes, and think of another great occurrence of this in the Old Testament and in history, the flood. God saw that the intent of people's hearts was only evil continually. 
there was no redeeming value left in all humanity except in one family, Noah and his family. Those are sober thoughts. But John, that same thing is going to happen as we go through the end of the world, the end of the age. People will harden themselves in light of all the judgments that come. And Romans 1 is another place where it tells us that God gives people over to the pursuit of what they really want to do from their most base and sinful natures to, pervert, to pursue perverse behavior, homosexuality, lesbianism, and so forth and other evil deeds. I, I looked that up, and, and that occurs, uh, the uh, use of that uh, term by Paul in Romans 1 occurs in verses 24, 26, and 28, yes. where it says that God gave them over. And functionally, that is God being an active agent in abandoning people to the... To the uh, purposes and intents of their hearts even though they are destructive yes so it's not just his restraining himself from uh intervening let's say but he's actively doing something he's yes. handing them over right right and, and and i think that the the whole thing is is um is is tied up here this whole problem about whether God is just or not in sending a deluding influence, goes back to the last clause in, in, in verse 10. Because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. It is for this reason that God will send upon them. God will send upon the deluding influence as a temporal judgment upon them. Yes, and I'm reminded of another powerful verse along with this that is going to uh, that describes what is going to happen in the future at the time of the great tribulation near the end, uh, when the antichrist is going to turn against the uh, uh, great harlot uh, called uh, Mystery Babylon, uh, the the uh, woman who uh, prostitutes herself with all the kings of the earth, namely false religion and idolatry is premier. And it says at the end of chapter 17 in the book of Revelation, uh, when the Antichrist turns against the prostitute and destroys her so that he himself can be the one object of worship in the world, it says this, For God has put it in their hearts, in the hearts of the ten nations, the ten horns, to execute his purpose by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. God has put it in their hearts. To execute his purpose. To execute his purpose. And that's all, always being done, of course, but here for an evil end, a terrible, not an evil end, a terrible end, which is the destruction of uh, world religion and idolatry. Mm. Mm. Well, we are following an outline that deals with how the delusion of our day is getting worse and worse in our contemporary times. And we've dealt with institutional delusions and uh, scientific delusions and economic ones. And so we come to discuss uh, perhaps what is the most alarming of threats, and that's what is taking place in our culture, in American culture, and in a lesser extent, I fear, uh, around the rest of the world. We're going to export uh, our calamities in this area, just as we export all kinds of evil things and good things as well from this country. So I think here, in regards to culture, 
that, for example, have Black Lives Matter and uh, the riots and uh, demonstrations that that outfit has uh, projected on our culture in America for the last uh, year or so. And uh, this has been given uh, uh, a, a, a green light to go forward and become the excuse or foundation for all sorts of uh, behavior that is anarchical or lawless. And uh, the police have been prohibited, both national police, uh, the guard and uh, local police, by many of our elected officials from intervening. So Black Lives Matter has been given a, a whitewash, as it were, in many respects, to cause a spirit of unrest and lawlessness. And if we think that somehow all of a sudden we can turn around, as our recent mayor in a local city here has been trying to do in the last few days, <laughs> saying that he's not going to permit this any longer, how are you going to change that attitude when before it was permissive, permitted, and uh, even in, 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 uh, encouraged? Jim, I'm thinking about uh, organizations now. We, you've mentioned uh, BLM, or Black Lives Matter. Uh, we, we could, we could um, uh, speak about uh, Planned Parenthood. There's all sorts of organizations uh, that have a public aura about them that functionally is a counterfeit aura. Uh, what, they, what they are accepted as and what they promote themselves as to the general public is not what they will, once you do the research on them, find them out, uh, discover them to be. Uh, a classic uh, thing is, uh, is BLM, of course, and uh, its original founding documents, which uh, I understand uh, have now uh, largely been uh, removed in many places from the Internet, because it's 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 blatantly uh, rooted in, in Marxism and uh, uh, other political thought that most people uh, do not catch on to, or if they do, they don't care. Well, if it was blatantly forward and exposed as Marxist, as one of its leaders was a Marxist, uh, most people in America would say, I don't want to have anything to do with that. So there is deceit in the sense of uh, exposing uh, what what the true nature of these organizations really is that is involved. You know, along with this goes the policing uh, and the attacks on law and order. So we have this strange, strange movement of, well, let's defund the police or let's remove them altogether. Uh, talk about extreme positions. That truly would lead to the, uh, the uh, breakdown of our culture and our society. You know, that's not rocket science. <laughs> <laughs> it, no, it's, I... it's very interesting because that's, Jim, that's quite an indictment of the level of delusion uh, that is applied in this area. Yes, and every one of us have grown up in a home in which as little children and young adults, uh, teenagers, we had to be disciplined by our parents. And without that discipline, we grow up and become adults who are undisciplined, and that leads to... Uh, well, frankly, the breakdown of uh, character and being able to uh, uh, indulge ourselves in all kinds of lawless behavior and self-centeredness and narcissism and so forth. So without discipline, therefore police and a culture, those other results will follow. Right. Uh, especially the terminology of cancel culture. We hear a lot about that now. And that's where uh, the people who will seek the destruction of our culture want to cancel our past 
They want to rewrite our history, tearing down our monuments uh, to our past, even if those monuments are not all positive or totally good. They nevertheless remind us of something that we once struggled for and had to overcome. So everybody recognizes what I'm talking about when in the past year Confederate monuments were torn down and so forth. And even monuments to presidents of our country who, although not perfect men, nevertheless contributed something far greater than they did negatively. So what a strange situation for a culture to deny its past. And isn't there a famous saying that uh, those who reject their past are, especially the bad parts of it, uh, are doomed to repeat it? Yes. Who, who said that? I can't recall. I think but... any number of people have said that. <laughs> yes, okay. So should... go, go ahead and Google it. All right, well... The next thing I'd like to talk about is critical race theory. What is critical race theory? Everybody hears the phrase, and they even sometimes are uh, are, are so hip that they don't even uh, use the term. They just call it CRT. Now, in the old days, that was a cathode ray tube like the old television. <laughs> but now it's critical race theory. What is it? Well, it's basically, it basically can be defined as spawning racial division across our culture usually identified in the terminology as white versus black or brown, those colored uh, classes of our culture. And it really begins with uh, Marxism and a communist ideology of the past. And John, I'm going to advertise something I don't think we hardly ever do, but it's a publication that is available free of charge to any of our listeners. And it's a publication of Hillsdale College a college that is thought to be independent of government control in all kinds of ways. And the document is called Imprimus, and it has over 5,600,000 readers every month. It's a free monthly brochure sent out by Hillsdale College. And the issue that came out last month in March was titled Critical Race Theory, What It Is and How to Fight It. So I'd like to comment a few, uh, on a few paragraphs from this uh, document because I learned a lot about it, and it is truly uh, informative, and every American uh, ought to read it, especially those of us who are concerned about the flow of where our culture is going and the delusions that are taking place today. I'm all ears. So critical race theory is an academic discipline formulated in the 1990s, built on the intellectual framework of identity-based Marxism. And although it was relegated for many years to universities and obscure academic journals over the past decade, and I would add in the last year or two, it has been uh, become the default ideology of our public institutions. It has been injected into government agencies. That, that includes the military department, right. the public school systems. They're teaching this now in grade school, teacher training programs, and corporate human resources departments so that uh, boards of uh, uh, big tech and lesser tech are all supposed to go through a training exercise to teach them about this. Uh, so it's in the form of diversity training programs, human resources, modules, public policy frameworks, and school curricula. Hmm. So critical race theory uh, includes such terminologies as equity, social justice, diversity and inclusion, and culturally responsive teaching. We've all heard those uh, phrases used almost in every evening news broadcast in Euf one way or another. Euphemisms. Euphemisms. For something else. Yes, because equity 
even though it sounds non-threatening, is easily confused with the American principle of equality. They reject equality, that is, people who uh, uh, commit themselves to critical race theory. They reject equality, which is promised in our Declaration of Independence and defended in all kinds of our uh, jurisprudence and, and was fought over in the Civil War and so forth. But they choose equity. Uh, because equity is defined and promoted by critical race theorists as reformulated Marxism. And the article I'm looking at uh, gives some of the chief proponents of this. Uh, UCLA law professor Cheryl Harris, and then this fellow who I've seen interviewed on television, uh, the critical race guru, Ibram X. Kendi who directs the Center for Anti-Racist Research at Boston University. He's proposed the creation of a federal department of anti-racism. That's just what we need, another uh, branch of government devoted to this. <laughs> uh, anyway, just scanning down several other things, and I'll uh, just highlight uh, some of the main things he deals with. Uh, he talks about the fact that this has now been accepted in our federal government. The FBI are holding workshops on it the Department of Homeland Security, the Treasury Department, even Sandia National Laboratories, which deal with our nuclear weapons, have been, uh, uh, that this uh, theory has been forced upon the executives there in a three-day re-education camp. You know, talk about re-education. You know, we, we fault the Chinese for re-educating the uh, Zihur population. Uh, look what's happening in our own country. Uh, right. this, the author of this article, whose name is uh, Christopher Rufo, says uh, that uh, this is a revolutionary change. So America is undergoing a revolution. Uh, and he says um, there are a number of reasons why this has become uh, 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 effective today, critical race theory. First, too many Americans have developed an acute fear of speaking up about social and political issues, especially those involving race, for fear that we'll be attacked, and that is quite uh, strong today. Secondly, critical race theorists have constructed their argument like a mousetrap. If you disagree with their program, they come out and, and accuse you of white fragility, unconscious bias, or internalized white supremacy. You know, John, just reading this article and part of it here on our podcast, I can be accused of being a white supremacist and being uh, unconscious about it, and I've internalized it. And you too, because you're participating in this discussion. We ought to automatically be guilty. Oh, yes. We are automatically guilty. Yes. The third reason uh, this has become so popular is because Americans across the political spectrum have failed to separate the premise of critical race theory from its conclusion. And the conclusion is that it is leading to a revolution. The fourth reason is that uh, the activists who've had the courage to speak out against race, critical race theory have tended to address it as uh, a theoretical thing and not dealing with it on the local particular practical issues. So how do we correct this? That's how the article concludes. There are three parts to it, and they deal with uh, governmental action, grassroots mobilization, that's where you and I, John, can come in, and an appeal to principle. And under principle, he deals with morality and what is good and just in a community. So it's a very helpful and critically important uh, issue and article to read. 
so that we all become informed as, as to what is taking place. It is truly revolutionary, and it must stop. So, functionally, what you're saying is that part of the delusions in our culture, part of the delusion, I will use the singular, uh, in our culture, is that various cultural mechanisms and sociological mechanisms are being injected in to the national life that are illogical, inconsistent, uh, unfounded, any number of other definitions or adjectives you may wish to apply, but are given free reign to operate as mechanisms to turn the thinking and the perceptions of the public to that which is false. And they're adopted, frankly, w without, uh, they're adopted by most people, uh, and they're certainly adopted by the, um, the makers and the publishers of the public thought, like people in sports, people in government, people in uh, entertainment, uh, adopt these things and promote them, and, and, and they're picked up by many people without thinking about them and without addressing them and without researching them. And as a, as a result, they change the way, fundamentally change the way the culture operates and the standards upon which it operates. And the great delusion is that this is all done seemingly to uh, support the disadvantaged, and in particular, the black and brown community. Uh, they are made the victims of our culture, according to this theory, and therefore we need to do something to uh, change that and so forth. So a legitimate concern is the great delusion, so that people embrace a Marxist-communist ideology, communism having failed to be able to persuade America and the Western nations that class warfare ought to take place, the poor... The, the proletariat, the workers ought to rise up against the business owners and so forth, the, bureau, the bureaucracy and the bureaucrats, and throw that off. Well, communism failed in that regard to attract America and the West, so they've they predicted and, and have begun processing that revolution to take place on the basis of race structure, uh, race division. Let me share a personal testimony with you, John, and for with our listeners. When I went off to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, I came from a, a farming community, knew nothing about communism, and so forth and so forth. But at, in Chicago, I remember being struck by the existence of communist bookstores on uh, several different blocks in Chicago as I would walk by, and I kept wondering to myself, how is it that communist ideology can operate so freely and sell books and literature and give away stuff like that? And, of course, the freedom of the press existed, so the country could not clothe them or anything like that. But that was my spiritual awakening relative to uh, communism and what it sought to do in America. I was so concerned about that, I wrote four articles for the Moody uh, student magazine, a student paper, titled uh, The Church and Communism, the parallel that exists, how each uh, seems to... Uh, in, in wrap and, in, and envelop 
the total commitment of people and other parallels like that. And they were published in Moody's paper. Uh, I went on to uh, further education and so forth and became more and more uh, informed. I bought uh, literature and got free literature sent by the Senate Internal Security Committee, the House on American Affairs Committee, free literature, get whole books from them if you just ask for them. And so that's how I was educated. I read uh, communist literature, the Communist uh, Manifesto by uh, Marx and, uh, and others. Uh, so to me it was eye-opening in the sense that here's an ideology that seeks to totally overturn the United States and take away all of the freedoms, all of the uh, Bill of Rights, and not enough people were concerned about that, I thought. And I think that has uh, actually gotten worse today that fewer people are concerned about these things. And now it is critical race theory that has subtly come in and without really being t recognized for what it is and casually adopted by the leading uh, levels of our government, local, state, and national governments, so much so that gov presidents were forcing uh, the present president and, and past leaders in government were forcing people to uh, go through re-education uh, experiences so that President Trump actually intervened and forbid that to happen in the Pentagon and other places. Re-education camps. Yes, re-education. Can you <laughs> imagine that? Which occurred under, uh, under communist dictatorships. Yes. They're very bizarre. So very what a, bizarre. So this is the great delusion culturally today. You know, we see it in other areas in our culture. Professional sports are becoming politicized. Yep. Um, shameful amounts of money are being invested in these professional sports. They have great investments in China, and therefore they refuse to speak out about China abuse of civil rights and in light of this. So money is indeed the root of all evil. The entertainment industry, uh, people uh, who are heralded as great uh, musicians or singers or whatever it may be, uh, becoming... Uh, uh, part of this movement. And then maybe the most striking thing that I am bothered by the fake media news that is coming out. Uh, you mentioned the corruption of journalism and uh, can we trust anyone who writes today about something? It's becoming a, uh, an untrustworthy uh, element in our culture today, uh, reading the newspaper, watching the television news. I might, I might add not just the corruption of jur journalism, but add the W word. Uh, frankly, the weaponization of journalism uh, yes. on behalf of uh, various uh, parties and agendas. Yes, and I think we're all aware of that today, especially our listeners, about how that seems to be all leaning one direction, the majority of the media leaning one direction in support of a particular uh, president right now and basically the total obscurity or neglect and outright willful refusal to print the other side of the story or right. what else is happening right well well uh, I'm, I'm thinking Jim there's there's this deception is rampant uh, and delusion is rampant it, it affects uh, corporate uh, and business uh, uh, factors and sectors of America. Uh, businesses are no longer businesses, but they have themselves become uh, social justice uh, warriors and associated with various uh, cultural agendas uh, and whatnot. It's, it's really strange, of all things, that 
classic successful American businesses now are the um, a leading force, not just the leading force uh, in in social change, but have become as a consequence the subject of potential boycott. Yes, uh, not for the quality <laughs> of their products, not not for the usability of their products, not for the uh, morality or the immorality of their products, but for uh, secondary activities of the corporation. And then I, then I think of a couple of other areas here. I think of economic delusions. Uh, there's a, <laughs> the classic economic delusion, Jim. It, it is so plain on anybody's face that, that nobody pays attention to it anymore. Deficit spending. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you tried to do in your family what the government does not only with impunity, but with great glee and delight, uh, your family would immediately go bankrupt uh, with all of the attendant disasters that would come upon him. Monetary policy, confiscatory and punitive taxing. Uh, there's not a, if you were to tax everybody that earned more than uh, $200,000, you, you name the figure, and tax them at 100% of their wealth, there's not enough wealth in the world available just to meet the deficits that we have. Uh, guaranteed income and benefit schemes. Yep. Uh, talk about smoke and mirrors. And supporting them out of, like... We're able to used to say money growth doesn't grow on trees, but apparently money now can be vaporized or materialized out of thin air. Uh, I would think of a couple of other areas. Uh, well, you but particularly, I think as as we're drawing to a close here, there's there are the delusions, frankly, Jim, that have uh, been taken up and adopted by the evangelical church. Well, before you go there, you mentioned before also the political delusions of our era, and uh, such as uh, giving up on the Constitution or the abuse of it, uh, that it's a changing, changing document, uh, and therefore uh, self-restraint is being uh, removed because of the con by, by avoiding the Constitution, uh, anti-nationalism, uh, we ought to have a borderless country. It's wrong to be patriotic, uh, and so forth. All kinds of movements like that that take place in the political realm. Oh my! Let's talk about the evangelical failures as we wind this up. Go ahead. Well, we have obviously uh, even even in evangelical churches uh, um, a startling uh, growth in the neglect of important areas of uh, theology, like the inerrancy of scripture, the deity of Christ, the virgin, virgin birth, uh, different views of uh, what in, uh, is entailed by the resurrection. Particularly, and I suspect uh, most flagrantly in the present circumstances of world history is a neglect of eschatology yes. or uh, the teaching of the scriptures on the end times. I find it very interesting. We, we can 
kind of imagine uh, the Apostle Paul on one of his missionary journeys. <laughs> and he goes to the church, to, to, to the little northeastern Greek town of Thessalonica. I don't know how little it was. It was probably a major city at the time. And, and, and uh, he preaches in the synagogue and he gathers some people that want to hear him more. And he starts an infant church. One of the first things that's very apparent from First and Second Thessalonians is that even in his initial teaching to these new believers, he would discuss eschatology in detail. And mention in particular that there's a coming empire headed by Jesus Christ that is going to reign on the earth, and the present massive empire of Rome is going to be destroyed. But nobody wants to talk about it. Very <laughs> few people, well, not enough people in evangelical churches are hearing about eschatology, surprisingly, as the end of the age approaches. And uh, one of the reasons that is given for that is that, oh, that, that involves politics. We don't want to get into that area. And so there's an avoidance of pol po political discourse, the so-called separation of church and state issues. It's, it's, it's a false notion yes. that politics is a secular issue. And therefore, if it is a secular issue, it has no connection to the spiritual realities of the scriptures. Jim... The greatest deception, perhaps, that we're laboring under among many believers is that the secular is not, does not have a spiritual aspect to it. Right. There is, if you look at it, if you look at life biblically, there is no area of life, whether you're a believer or not a believer, that does not have a spiritual aspect. You're absolutely correct. And uh, to, to do otherwise is to live contrary to the New Testament and the message of Jesus himself. Right, right. You know, as we wrap this up, another great delusion, which I'm only going to mention, is perhaps that of time itself. I remember reflecting or reading about this one time, and that is that we think that the present hour is not the significant one. Therefore, we can procrastinate to, let's say, address uh, the political situation in church or the end times in church, or we've got time to, to do this later. And that's the deceit of time itself. Though this is all going to go on, and that's frankly what Second Peter 3 addresses again, that everything's going to continue on as it has in the last few years or, uh, or decades. In conclusion, what we've been dealing with is how God is sending delusions as an aspect of his giving over our contemporary culture to evil. We already mentioned Romans 1. And yet, you know, John, everything that we just talked about is what we could call, I think, small potatoes in light of what is going to come in regards to the delusion and delusions that God is going to give during the time of the Great Tribulation. So much so that the Antichrist will not be called the Antichrist, he will be called the Christ. People will say, this is Jesus Christ. Perhaps he will demonstrate by miracle or by his own resurrection, that he is the Christ. And people will come and flock to him and say, well, of course we should give world allegiance to him. This is what was promised even in the Bible. That will be hard to resist. And the Bible tells us that basically the whole world will go after this.
So the import of this episode is simply to alert our listeners, as we ourselves have been alerted, to the delusions that are becoming stronger and stronger in our own culture, in our own uh, churches and so forth, regarding uh, the end of the times. And we need to be uh, more concerned and alerted to these things than ever before. The, the common thread throughout the New Testament, either in the sayings of Jesus in the Gospel, or in the Apostles, in the Epistles, that has a ring to it, is to be watchful, to be on the alert. To be not sleeping. To not be sleeping. But the idea of being watchful, not only is it a command, but it's a command to action. Hmm. It's a command to intellectual action. It's a command for us to be aware of the circumstances and to be proper interpreters of the signs of the times. Yes, and to be verbal uh, active, actively, uh, and uh, uh, works, uh, doing something, not sitting uh, simply uh, by the side and uh, looking at all these things, but be, to become actively engaged. Right. Well, thanks, John. I think this has been a profitable time, and I hope it has been for our listeners. Have a good day. And you too, Jim. <laughs>